themselves and 360 the world. Jamie Neal, the host, asked many questions about their mindset and how they fundamentally operate their world and the world around them. Here at 360 Yourself, we are very proud and honoured to be partnered with General Assembly. We embrace this with open arms to a new adventure. General Assembly is a global tech education company focused on the most in-demand areas today. So that's anything from UX, digital marketing, coding, data science, data analytics, to travel writing and ethics. Our slash their main goal is to get you where you want to be. You can find out more about them at ga.co online or across all socials at ga underscore London. We also encourage you to please rate and comment about us on Apple Podcasts. If you do enjoy what we bring to your ears, we'd love to hear about it. We're supported by General Assembly and that's right, you can get a 25% discount for their services. Promo code is 360yourself25. The code will be valid up to £75 off any one of their classes, workshops and boot camps and is valid until the 31st 08 2021 and is not applicable to GA's full-time, part-time or online circuit courses. Full T's and C's apply. Hey Kay, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm very, very well. So before we jump in, I want to say thank you so much for coming on 360 or so. You are a very, very busy person. That we, I was just saying this with, before uh, we went to the Zoom. You manage many people. Uh, you work for one of the biggest companies in the world. Um, but first of all, what I'd love to ask, obviously, we are remote. Uh, you're on Zoom. And obviously, we had COVID. And I'd love to know where you are in the world at this moment in time. I'm in Brooklyn, New York, where I have been the entire time of COVID. In fact, I had COVID. Um, I was even here when I had COVID. Um, So I've been here. I'm still here. And I'm not going anywhere. And in fact, when did you have COVID? I had COVID late December last year. Oh, because everyone now, I I had it two months ago and I had it really, really bad. But like, I feel like everyone now is getting it, even if you have the double backs. I know. That's crazy. And I think I have to have a third back because I'm immunocompromised. So I don't even think, I literally never left my house. And when I say the word literally, I hate when other people say it, but I really literally did not leave my small apartment and I still got it. And I, we think, we think it's because I'm so immunocompromised that I probably had such a low vibe, like it's probably a whiff in the air <laughs> and I whiffed it and my husband whiffed it and my baby whiffed it they didn't get it but i got it and i ended up in the hospital um so you never know yeah and but as, in, as in like it came through the window you think i don't know i mean i think it's airborne so i'm sure okay 
I lied. I didn't literally stay in my apartment. I did go and dump the trash. So, but it's a very short walk. But you, but they, but they said they thought at the time because obviously there's new pieces of information always coming out. They said at the region that you can pass it on by touching surfaces, and then they now say that you can't get it by a surface. So I don't know where you got it unless you bumped into someone and they, they coughed in the air and then you walked past it. I think that could possibly happen, but I don't yeah. know. You can't pass it by surface apparently. So. No. So only if it's on the very short, and I mean five second walk to the chute in the apartment building, and or I have left the apartment only to take my child out to go see a doctor because she was a newborn then. Yeah. Um, and then to go to the doctors myself. So I would say those are the only times, but I mean pretty safe. But again, you know, it's pandemic for a reason because nobody really. I mean, we know generally, but we don't really know. You know. So. Yeah. Well, they well they think well they think that the getting the second va two vaccines will do very very well um and then obviously now people were still getting ill from it but obviously they didn't think that you would not get it you would just get less ill but people are still some people well i don't know if I hear, but people a lot of people were still passing away because they haven't got the vaccine and yeah. it's quite upsetting because obviously I don't uh, force anyone at all to get the vaccine. Everyone has the choice. Um, mm. But at what stage do you, my question, I mean, I don't, we want, don't want to talk about COVID too much, but what stage do you go, okay, there's enough research now about the vaccine that I'm now going to take it because a lot more people are passing away. That's my question. I don't know. I know. I, know. I think it's the, I think the underpinning of the philosophy is what you're doing it for. Yeah. You know, if it's for yourself, which I think is a really obviously a big reason for everybody and your family. But if you're also thinking that it is a personal decision versus a community decision, I think that's mm -hmm. where it comes. Like Jennifer Aniston, I cannot believe I'm quoting Jennifer Aniston, but I think she had made some statement about cutting some people. Out yeah, she life. was like, I'm cutting people. This is like a week ago. And I was like, yes, Jennifer, because yeah. she was like, if you don't get it and then you pass it on to me and then I also had the vaccine and then I pass it to someone it's just going to obviously make the whole system crash, basically. Yeah, so, and she said one line that was great. She goes, at some point, we have to care more about others than we do ourselves. And that's mm. what I think about. Because I always just think I would be horrified. Horrified, not that I got it, not even that my family got it. But I would be horrified if someone, you know, passed or got really sick because of me. I would feel like I couldn't live Terrible. with that of myself. But yeah, you, maybe that's selfish. But I, I was also in the hospital this morning because I was dropping uh, someone, someone off and I went in with a mask. And do you know how many people didn't have a mask on in the hospital? And there's like people like in the hospital beds and like people who are very vulnerable and they didn't have masks on. And I was just a bit like, are you mental? Like, I don't understand that. Like take more self-awareness, like again, 360 yourself like think about your extremities and your actions what you're doing and think about it's it's bigger than yourself and you're in a fight an environment where like one covid is rife anyway and two people are really vulnerable there like i don't think it's fair on them yeah totally i was totally. so shocked i i wanted to go up to each and every one of them and say can you put a mask on but i can't i mean i i'm not allowed to, well you are allowed to but like it's it's not law is it now well especially i don't think in the uk it's law no no it's definitely there's some mandates around but i think it's 
you know, I mean, who can enforce it? It's not like, a, you know, we can't have civilian policing, like don't wear your mask. Yeah. So I think there's, yeah, it's really, it's really weird. I definitely, I, yeah, I definitely think this is my perspective, unless here in America, there's a lot of, you know, obviously problems. There's a lot of social reasons why people don't perhaps take it. I get it. Like there's some communities that have been really burned in the past by vaccines. I use that in quotations when they weren't vaccines. So I get why there would be some reticence around that. But I definitely think that if there's, even if there's anything wrong with the vaccine, which I do not think there is, even if there is, I'm going down with the right side of history and the right group of people. You know what I mean? Like I went down with the people who cared enough about their community and put the community first. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I'll go down with them. And I'm, I'm down with that. These are the people that I want to in hell or heaven you know cool (laughs) right so i don't want to spend too much on covid but i think this kind of leads me on to uh i'll i'll kind of jump forward then i'll jump back but covid for me i was talking to someone this morning that covid has for me brought a lot of people together in terms of connection in terms of technology and obviously the way that we integrate uh like creativity and the way that we tell stories has changed a lot. How do you find that has changed for you in terms of what you do at the company, in terms of your creativity and the way that you connect with people? Yeah, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder than I thought. I think at the beginning, I was really optimistic that we can overcome um, sort of the advantages of being with people, with technology. And I think it was true for a little while because there was a little bit of uh, newness and it felt like we were really using technology to at its finest, its utilitarian finest to connect with each other. But I think over time, I think you do really realize that being there physically does help a lot with collaboration, connection, and um, creativity as well. And it's a very interesting thing. I think there's something about feeling someone's presence in the room, um, being able to read their body language, a lot of the social cues that are pretty unconscious, you just can't feel as much on Zoom. Like I, just now, I kept on interrupting you, not even because I was trying to be rude, but I thought there was a pause or I anticipated a pause. I probably could have anticipated much better if we were in the same room together, but because we're not, I keep on interrupting you and I find myself being so rude and like, oh, it's driving me crazy. But I do find some of those little little advantages of being there with a person has has changed creativity a lot like that's on one hand that's my personal experience on another hand I think digital creativity has exploded right during COVID like people are always more creative within constraints and so again especially on all of the platforms you just see everybody is just doing like incredible things. They're just being extremely creative in how they're telling their story and how they're expressing their experience. So in that way, I think it's been great because it's been one of the few outlets that people can use really safely to connect with other people. Yeah, I think because I, I think some people have like both positive and negative to how we're so digitally uh, savvy now in terms of our connection. But I think also like from speaking to a lot of friends who work in the big corporate companies, the mental health aspect of working from home and trying to be creative while dealing with everything. And for you, I, I speak, we had um, uh, Baldo uh, Larosa, uh, Larosa, sorry, uh, who is the, he's the VP of retail for Jimmy Choo. And he said this really interesting thing about empathy, like working with people when they've also got other things going on at home and they're also battling their own mental 
health, plus being creative, plus being a leader. How have you felt having being a really key creative person, but also navigating this space and also trying to inspire your team as well to be creative and but also having the time what they need? I think it's the opposite. I think I've, we've had a lot of really open conversation conversations on our team, at least about mental health and where people are at, because we're not just dealing with COVID. And again, certainly a lot of people have different personal situations where they're at home, they might be sick, they might be taking care of a loved one with, you know, whatever issues because of COVID. But also in the United States, we're dealing with a lot of social and cultural issues as well that are, you know, quite heavy. Like there's a lot of, you know, there was a political situation last year where, you know, country's still very polarized. So there's the pressure of that and anxiety around that. Then there were a lot of civil rights movements that were happening, like BLM was happening. There's the rise of Asian hate uh, crimes happening across the country. So I think there was just a lot of pressure on folks. And that's where I think I took a step back and just opened a space for our team to just communicate vulnerably and empathetically. Like it's totally up to them because I I definitely don't want to force anybody in a workspace to, you know, open up if they don't want to. But we talked a lot about expectations that we had for each other and if someone wasn't feeling creative because they felt you know they might be black and feel a lot of pressure around their personal safety like we have to be able to make space for that person to figure things out and work is certainly not the most important thing so it is like i've I've tried to take a little pressure off um so that i think in a weird way it gives people more space to be more creative even though i'm saying it's not just about the work, it's not about creativity, but it is about taking care of yourself. Ultimately, I think like if we don't take care of ourselves, we're just not gonna have an employee that's productive and happy and satisfied. Sure. satisfied and, it, it, and it also is sort of taking uh, the, not the reins, but also um, giving, taking the weight as a team when one person is not feeling so great. And I think it was, I think Simon Sinek, I always reference Simon Sinek because I think he's absolutely amazing. But he has within his company blanket day. And uh, he, if you're in the team, you say, oh, I need a blanket day, which basically which means I'm not just not feeling it today. Obviously, they give him like time, like don't say, oh, I've got blanket day and then leave him in the lurch. But I think it's like within the team, you got to be really sensitive. And when someone's saying, oh, I just need a bit of time out, that the other team can just pick up the loose pieces and just go, okay, will we support you? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also providing people the space to be able to communicate that in the way they want to. Again, some people, for cultural reasons, my team is a global team. Um, we have people from different backgrounds. It's sometimes they're not comfortable maybe being as direct. So you have to do a little bit more on your end as a manager to kind of pick up on those cues. But also, again, to re- respect people's space, but give them an open invitation to communicate whatever they need and to communicate what they need. And you try to just meet them halfway. I think it's funny because I obviously work in a field where creativity is a a commercial thing that we're doing. We're not making art. So again, I try to take away a little bit of that pressure because, you know, we work for a big company. And at the same time, sometimes like there's times where we can pull back a little bit, extend deadlines a little bit because you know, things are not perhaps as urgent or there's things that we can push and pull in order to make sure, again, employees are happy, safe, and, you know, feeling really good. For me, it's always about long-term. Like I've been at Facebook now for about eight years. I'm really coming close to my full eight years. And 
I always say to folks on my team, like I want them to think about their career here. And I don't take it personally if they're looking for growth that I can't give them or they're looking for an experience that I can't give them because I want to make sure because they're on my team and they're obviously the best. Obviously. I want to make sure that they have, obviously, that we keep them some somehow here in the company, yeah. you know, because that's the most important thing for me is to keep them here long-term. And so again, if I can do anything in the meantime, in some sort of juncture in their career at Facebook, if I can do anything to make it so that they will stay here, we'll be happy, we'll be productive, I'll do whatever it takes. And ultimately for people, it's not worth it. You know, it's not worth anybody's mental health um, to like not focus on it when they need to, especially with all, again, the pandemic, the social cultural pressures that people are going through. And obviously during COVID, you know, everybody's working harder than they were even before COVID. There's not as much breaks. There's not as much balance. Like I want to make sure that I'm hugely sympathetic and tapped into what's actually going on versus again, just giving more and more work and expecting us to produce at the same amount that we did. Yeah. Ironically though, our team is actually, my, my team has probably produced 200, like more than 200% times year over year of like creative assets. So it's, it's a little bit insane. It's a little bit alarming. Um, but again, those are the things that you kind of have to tap into and figure out how to pull back so people don't feel like that's an expectation that, you know, I have of them. And yeah, as we go forward, that, that's how people burn out. That is interesting, isn't it? When you, when you go beyond and then they think that's what is expected now, but actually what was expected was a little bit back. And now they just go, well, and it's, things about profits as well at companies and you go into profit and they go, oh, we hit that. Well, why can't we hit that every single time? You do, well, actually, we, we actually did really, really well. If we go back a tiny bit, that's totally fine because that wasn't our margin. Our margin was this and now we've done extra. So that's what, that also is quite interesting, isn't it? And I'm, and I'm hoping leaders as well understand that as well. Like when you go the extra and you've been doing that, but actually we don't need to go the extra just all the time because that's also not where the margin sits. I always say this to my team, especially because we work in creativity and storytelling. I was like, I don't want to set the wrong expectation because this creativity is something, it's not on demand, right? You need space to think about things, to play around with things, to figure out different narrative forms or different design or different composition. My team like does a whole bunch of stuff. And what I don't want to do is set the expectation that it's a very collateral activity right? Like you ask for copy and you just get it right away. It's just very easy. And there's no thinking or effort or research that goes behind every project. And so that's what I worry about quite a bit um, is that by being really good partners, um, by over delivering that we actually long-term, we don't set ourselves up for really great quality work. Like I'm so really, really happy with the quality of work, but I do think I worry about that quite a bit because I don't want people to think like, oh, you need, you know, copy, you need a tagline. It only takes a day. And then, you know, we can give it to you. We can ship it to you and it's done. Like it actually takes a lot more thoughtfulness and work and thinking in space and creators. We need space to think of stuff. Like we need space to daydream, to like look at movies, you know, to read like anything that cook, whatever is the thing that fuels your creativity and gives yours, your like mind that meditation to mm. actually do good work. And I think that's also like a part of probably like what's missing when you work in a creative team in a big uh, company is sort of because everything's moving so fast that there's also the expectation that 
the creative aspect of it can also move that fast and still deliver at the same quality. Yeah. I also don't I, think like volume is anything as well. I think it's quality, not volume. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting how like the digital space and where we're at the now is all about kind of the the, the delivery like straight away where like maybe I don't know however many lot maybe 20 30 years ago creativity was really like something that was nourished and it was really like thought through and it wasn't just handed why do you think that nowadays we're like really obviously now like social media and everything has become so quick like quick fashion that we're sort of losing you know like when you see um I love it when you see someone welding or someone you see like with um like he's got a block of wood and he's and he's putting it into like a, a piece of furniture and it just takes a long time it doesn't you can't do that in a day or two days and I love watching people like that but how do you get that process into a commercialized environment like what we're working in I think you have to force it <laughs> you really have to force that rigor and like that dedication of quality. I think it's partly having the standard for it. I think that's one. I think it's making the time uh, for teams to be able to do that and to do that creativity, to do that creative thinking and discovery process. I think it, it is also to your point, like really making sure there's inspiration for the team. And separately for the people that you work with, I think it is a lot of education and expectation setting about how long things really take and the difference in quality that you can get right yeah. when you have longer timelines when we plan a little bit better when we are resourcing with bigger budgets like definitely the quality difference is there so i think communicating that and of course results um will end up being there because obviously i, I really believe that creativity is the thing that drives success of any marketing program or anything that we do like how, however we communicate any of the stories that we're trying to tell around our products yeah. or services or audiences how, how sorry interrupt. how do you balance if something is really like, I think when you, I think when you're working create, in the creative sector, you can either go down your, there's that, is that, there's that joke, isn't it? Where you, you hand the safe project and you hand them the project, which is a bit more experimental. How do you, I've also been this when I'm, when I know, when I'm like, when I'm having a, an idea and I go, this is really great and you really understand it and it's so creative. And then you have a bit of a simple idea. How do you balance when you know that this is ideal, this, this piece of work is really creative and really out there, people will resonate it, but then they go for more of a simplistic or you should go for more of a simplistic view. Oh, I never even introduced the second option. That's what I push everybody to do. I'm like, no, show them something that makes them uncomfortable. And then I am terrible because it's not like I'm always successful, but I then I hard sell. That's <laughs> just like, I'm like, nope, this is, this is like whatever we need to do to sell, sell in um, a more clever, more provocative, more innovative idea. I will always try to push it as far as possible, knowing that perhaps we'll have to probably take, take down the noise a little, a little notch or so, but I try to push ourselves to be a little bit more uncomfortable. So I think the enemy of any company is themselves. I really think that. I think it is the lack of risk-taking. I think the lack of boldness. I think the lack of creativity and innovation is what kills any company. That's mm. always what I'm really fearful of. So I try to push, you know, like there's a lot of different business units and audiences that we serve in, in my team. I try to push us to be as crazy as we can be. And again, I'm using that in quotes because obviously we have brand guidelines and we have mm. to really work with the brand look and feel, but I try to push it the potential as far as we can, um, at least in the visual storytelling aspect of it. 
Yeah. yeah. I try not to give them safe option because if you give people the safe option, people who are, again, are not well versed in your skill set or experience or may not have necessarily the experience to um, evaluate, right, what you're showing them, they will always go for something safe. So I don't even want to give people the option. But you'll have so, to force me. So what if, you give, what, you, what if you give them two options, but you didn't say one was safe and one was more risky? No, I still wouldn't because I just, know you, what, wouldn't, you wouldn't even you wouldn't even you wouldn't even that option. Ah, no. interesting. But you have it yeah. just as a backup, just in case. No. No. Wow, that is bold. Um, I yes, I tell everybody to do that because I always think there's something to in salesmanship. A lot about a lot of it is confidence and having, I think, an argument to back it up. Again, you may not get exactly what you want, and you might have to have something that you're willing to give up a little bit on yeah. to keep the overall fidelity of an idea. Yeah. But I think showing them something, I just feel like then what happens is everybody gravitates to something that's fairly easy. Again, depending on the audience, because I am uh, generalizing. It's not like everybody outside yeah. of creative. What, 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 makes it, what makes a good idea and a bad idea? What makes a good idea and a bad idea? So many things. I, it's so a, many it's a, things. It's a tricky, it's a tricky question, because it's like, what is a good yeah. idea? What's a bad idea? And I have this conversation with a lot of people. I think a good idea and a bad idea. I think there has in these days, and it goes back to what you're saying about how fast creativity is and yeah. output is, I think it has to have some sort of topicalness. I'm not saying topicalness doesn't have to be very current, but it can't be irrelevant. So, I mean, I'm going to say all the things that everybody says. It's like a bad idea is something that doesn't speak to the audience. A bad idea is something that doesn't communicate any message. A bad idea in execution. I mean, a good idea could be just bad when it's executed. Yeah, that's just like, right? yeah. A great idea can also be terrible if it's not, um, if it's not again articulated properly. If there's not the proper design, a bad idea can also be something that doesn't. If you're working again for commercial, you know, program a, a commercial uh, initiative, doesn't speak back to the brand. Like there's lots of reasons why an idea could be bad. It could be bad at the root. It could be bad in the insight. It could be bad because the message doesn't speak to the audience, et cetera, et cetera. I was really, I almost told you a bad idea that I thought about just now. But there was, I'm not gonna say the name, but there has been a jewelry company that recently came out with a tagline that was just off. And it was, I think, basically trying to communicate that, you know, um, their brand is not, you know, their mother's brand. But yeah. I think that was the tagline. And that yeah. was, again, it was a good thought, but the execution, like that was a good goal. I think that was the yeah. goal is like to, you know, show that, you know, new and young for everybody, for Gen Z, but I don't think the execution was quite there. Mm. Um, yeah. So I don't even know if it's a good or bad idea. I think the intent of it is pretty clear, but I think mm. definitely the creative umbrella and probably the execution of it was just, yeah, it just didn't hit, hit the spot. Yeah. In fact, I joke a lot. I want my mother's jewelry because she has a lot more money than I do. So <laughs> I'm like, I actually do want her jewelry. I would just reset it, but yeah. I do want her but, jewelry. I, but I also think it, it, about intention as well. Like we t I talk to a lot of people about intention, like manifesting and like, what's your good intention? Is it positive? Is it impactful? And is it negative intention? And I think sometimes when these people hit these bad, not, not, they don't hit the mark so on, because one, it might be an intention from someone who might have, not, for instance, might not have cultural relevance, but their intention is good, but they just don't know. Like, I think 
it's happened it's happened for a number of brands i mean and you've looked at like in the in advertisements and it comes across a certain way but i've always believed because i'm very optimistic that they had really good intentions they don't set out to to make it terrible but i just think they just hit the mark but because maybe there wasn't the right person in the room saying actually that comes across like that uh okay yeah i that's, I think, the, probably the fault of, honestly, lack of diversity in the room. I think because, again, not everybody that's making a decision might be the right person or might have the right context to be able to make that decision. Mm. That's not a fault of anybody. It just means that you have to diversify the room. We think about that all the time. It's actually one of the things that we're really trying to institutionalize in our process, not even just from creative process, because that's just part of it, but in the whole marketing process is like, Who's in the room when you're concepting, you know, a program or initiative? Who's in the room uh, when we're developing this? Who's in the room when we're picking a production partner? Who is the production partner? Who's in the room when we're actually evaluating the concepts? Who's in the room when we have a final decision being made? Because those decisions are also where diversity really matters. Like you might have an idea that um, speaks to a specific audience, but again, if no one is reflecting, can reflect that audience in that room and or has experience to reflect that audience, it's going to be very challenging, I think, to make some of that, that those right decisions. So I think it's really, really important every single process to do like a check. It's like, okay, have we thought about all of the potential outcomes? Are we speaking to people in a respectful way? Are, um, is, are we showing an audience in a way that they think of themselves? Are we showing them what we think they look like like there's a lot of nuances to how to develop really ethical and really responsible i think advertising mm-hmm. i think we still have a lot to do in this industry but a lot of it is structural and operational as well it's not just about the creative process but it is around decision making um and the stuff around it as well even like the marketing concepts really really even the marketing brief at the very beginning if you don't feed in diversity in the beginning you're just not going to get there mm-hmm. so yeah. No, I, so I agree. I agree. It's it's just I, I, I just find it fascinating. And I, I find it fascinating. And I'm, I'm such an optimistic that I believe that everyone's everyone's intentions are good. That's maybe yes. that's my naivety. But sometimes it just doesn't come out because they're just not self aware enough to like think about the end person or the end user. Or if you say something, it you meant it might meant to make me mean good things. But at the end of the day, it comes across in a gibberish thing and then people get offended and you just go like, if you really just think about putting yourself, that classic example, put yourself in that other person's shoes, how would it translate? But I always believe, I like to think that everyone's got good intentions, but that's just me being very naive, I think. Yeah, it's just in the execution. I think <laughs> most people have good intentions, but sometimes the execution is like, ooh, you know? Yeah. But, uh, what was that, um, what's that saying? Uh, Hell is paved with road of good intentions. What's that? I've never. Heard uh, I of think it. hell is paved with a road of good intentions. Wow, I think, that's profound. Yes, it it is. I cannot obviously uh, claim fame to it, but I think it's a. I think hell, some writer wrote it. Yeah, hell is paved with good intentions. What does that entirely mean, though? Like, I think like it's just saying focusing just on intent and perhaps not the outcome is how you end up with a really bad situation. I think that's the intent of it. It's just like, you know, I remember Fashion House and no names, but you know, they had a little bit of a blackface problem. And again, to your point, who's in the room 
when they were I, moving I remember, I, remember, I remember seeing that uh, on uh, some platform. Yes, I remember seeing And you're that. like, oh, okay, that wasn't like, there's nobody in the room that was like, that may not be a good idea. But again, like probably the intent was assuming good intent was not yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Might have taken a reference point without context, without doing enough research or whatnot, or didn't think about like the end audience, perhaps in America, where there is a lot of, again, um, tension and context around um, Black people's experience here. And so, you know, again, good intent, maybe, who knows, good intent, but probably, again, the outcome was not great. And it's kind of, um, I guess, that trite thing. It's not, it's not the intent, but the outcome. Like, I didn't mean to hit it, punch you in the face, but it really hurt, you know? <laughs> like, oh, sorry. No, but it's you know. true, though. But I, so how, so then you obviously, if you are, I don't know what my question is then. If you're, if you're trying to have good intentions, but does it, does it then come even before that and go, actually, before we even make a decision, we should just have the right people here already before going, okay, we're making a good intention. Show then we ask someone to see if there's a good intention. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I think that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think the good intention is just, I'm just saying that that's not probably the first step to like great creative or great storytelling. I mm. think it's probably like way before that. Way, way it's not just intention. That. It's also just focusing yeah. on like what's the potential outcome or like the output and what would be the outcome of the output, you know? Yeah. How you get canceled is when you don't think about that. Stuff. Oh my, no, <laughs> the can the cancel thing scares me a lot. Uh, it scares, I mean, it must scare, it scares everyone, but it's, it's so, well, I don't even know when this sort of happened, the canceled culture phenomenon. I don't even know when it even started. It just sort of happened. It just, for me, it just sort of happened and appeared and I was like, whoa, okay, this is crazy. I know it's, it's such a hard, I, you know, struggle with this quite a bit because, you know, me and my husband talk a lot about it. Cancel culture happens because it's a way of giving people a voice when they didn't have a voice before, right? There's obviously certain situations where people are not empowered to say something against big, powerful institutions or big people, and there's no recourse. So it is a really important way for people to have recourse in some way. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I do think like when it gets to points where we are doxing people or you know we're threatening them, um, like probably innocent people that you don't even have contact with, I think it gets to a weird place. And I think that there is also, again, it always comes down to context, like something you did when you're 13 and maybe someone found when you're 28, like we have to have empathy and give people grace. And to your point, expect good intentions that there's some growth that has happened. And perhaps their whole life shouldn't be, you know, fucked about because, you know, something they did when they were 13 or 14, right? Like, I think there's also room for empathy there, where I am sure if I grew up in the age of digital age, which I haven't because I'm really old, I'm sure there's a lot of weird stuff that, you know, I was figuring out and learning um, that when I look back seems like obviously wrong. Mm. Um, I don't know. I might have... I don't know. Maybe I wore, I definitely did wear uh, a, a CP, CP30 um, outfit Halloween. And maybe tomorrow it's going to be wrong, but I don't, you know, I don't want to be canceled for it. Um, so I think there's like a part of grace. And I think there's like also, um, I think we can temper down the hyperbolic reaction sometimes, where again, you get to the place where we're threatening people's lives. Um, you know, beyond like commercial success, I think that's where it starts to get inappropriate. 
again, having said that, it's not that I don't believe that it should exist to some degree. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. think it has to be purposefully used for a group of marginalized people or people who have no recourse against, you know, bigger powers and they're galvanizing like, mm-hmm. you know, community to pay attention yeah. to what's happening. So it's like, a, it's a weird line that we gotta, we gotta yeah. cross, we gotta walk with that. Because community driven uh, things are so effective at the moment. I remember a couple of months ago when the community, I can't remember what it, what, what platform it was, but they were like challenging the Wall Street with buying shares in something. And I was a bit like, Robin Hood, yeah. Yeah. The, and I was like, oh my God, this is, I mean, I've never heard of this before, but it's crazy how the community is so strong now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and don't mess with K pop fans, don't mess with BTS army. <laughs> No. <laughs> or don't, don't mess don't mess with anyone like that it's just like it's just just leave them let, let i wish there was i mean i wish in the world in the future there was a way of like making everyone so equal in this is like utopia space like like honestly like vision it and i'm like we're all just like like neutral or just wearing sort of like normal like clothing that everyone's like white and i think it was a britney spears music video um, from years, I think it was Britney Spears music video where they're all just like in this like silvery. And I said to you about the metaverse, about this like I like that's where I vision. I wish in the future that there was there was this like angry people around and just based off no substance or state. And the states the, the statements that people give sometimes. I can't. I, I don't want to go and delve into certain areas, but I just wish in the future, maybe in a hundred years, two hundred years time, that all just become so kind of equal. And it's just because harmonious and we're like in a utopian space i mean wouldn't that be amazing <laughs> it would be it really would be i'm and just too optimistic no, sorry yeah. just- no that's a good thing to be optimistic because i think there's a lack of that but i think also full circle back to our very first conversation is i think that's because we're not it's easy to throw a spear digitally i don't know if we would feel so comfortable um, doing this in person, you know, like hurling an insult just to a random person that we haven't met because we heard something that they said before, you know, you know, and I do feel like that's what technology has allowed um, us to do is express ourselves in a way that may not have been appropriate in real life. And that's also where, you know, when I find myself reacting to something, I'm like, you know what? I read it digitally. It's an email. It's a message. It was probably typed really quickly and probably like the tone and intent isn't quite clear because Again, I'm not reading the body cues. I'm not hearing the tone of someone. I don't get the full context of the conversation. I'm getting like a snippet of what's happening. I don't know if they're having a bad day. And I think it's just very, very easy to, I don't know, use the internet, the internet, it sounds old, use the WWW as yeah. a place to um, um, like, you know, to unleash some of the frustration maybe you have of every day or react really quickly without thinking about context and empathy and all that other sure. stuff. And I think but that's what happens. It's all about context though in life. Like I stress, I, I stress this enough to a lot of my friends about context. Like our minds run off on these tangents because we don't understand, because it's on the unknown and the context of things when you're having a, a dispute with your friend or relationship problems and people are not as communicative or transparent and the context isn't there but then we get worked up and we then we because we're great storytellers as humans we, we tell these stories in our brains because we listen to these all these different thoughts but we don't mm-hmm. actually consider what the context is and i think if we if we remove ourselves also 
going back onto these trolls and people on these internets, when you're someone says, oh, you've got big hands and it's, it comes from silly face one, two, three. I just... I just laugh at these people because I don't, I want to, I would probably never meet these people. And also who has time just to sit on a computer and just throw insults? Like the context of it, you have to think, go, well, where's their headspace then? Who are they as people? They probably have a bad time at this moment in time in their life and they just need to project something. So if you understand where the projection is coming from, or try to understand it, it makes it for me less offensive, I think. Oh my God. I have this conversation with my husband who um, he's a meme creator and he has oh, a wow. lot of followers. And he, one day he comes to me and he says, you know, someone said I got fat. I'm like, okay. I was like, really? You need to get off the internet if that's going to offend you because everybody's going to say that you look fat. Also his main follower base is like, like boys 13 to 18. I'm like, that is what you're going to get. So if you cannot handle a rando, like you said, smiley one, two, three, four, calling you fat, you cannot, you cannot create anything for the internet. You gotta just create something physical and keep it to yourself because you know, that's part of, that's part of the package, right? Mm. You want to create something you want to put in the world. You want to reach people. Hopefully you want to make someone smile. Like that's going to come with it. There's going to be one or two people that are going to tell you that you look fat or you have really bad hair. You know, it just happens. And, but the right people though, with the right intention will join your, your tribe of community and fan your flame and you fan their flame. There's only these odd couple of people that will appear now and then, but they drop off. But the right people, as I said to a lot of my friend in dating life, like the, the right person who will, who will accept you and everything that you are and how amazing, the right person will come along. You don't need to worry about all these other people that you think that's going to happen. The right person will come along, like the right tribe will come along. Totally. And he does. They talk about all this stuff that I'm like, what? And they have their own language in his comments. It's all like oh, irony. So he, yeah, he, he specializes in cringe humor. So it's like they have their own language. And I was talking about Big Chungus. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> when I read him, I'm like, oh, You need to send me him. his account. I need to get on this memes. I love memes. <laughs> okay, I'll definitely send it. It is, it's very interesting. Because again, I don't think people can tell if he's being ironic or not. Like, hit, I don't want to tell you this shtick. Just you should take a look at it and I let me know do. what you think. I will do. So um, I know, well, we're running sort so of out of time. And I, my final question for you is um, what I love to ask all my guests at the end is we've talked about loads of different things. Um, we touched on loads of different subjects. And I probably could talk to you for another like hour or two hours because you're such a lovely, um, bubbly person. You've got a lot to say. But my final thing I'd love to ask you is, in your life, you've met many people, you've done brilliant things. What has inspired you? It could even be uh, sort of a mantra that you might have had or have at this moment in time. It might be a film, might be an art piece, might be someone you met. What would you give back to our audience that would inspire them? I have to say, and this is probably cliche, and I never thought I would say this at this point in my life, but my mom has actually inspired me through this one thing that she said. So I was living in Hong Kong at the time. I got a job um, at a, a really big re- luxury retail place to be you know, one of their head stylists. And I got the job while I was in New York. And I decided when I was in New York, I was gonna move to New York. So obviously when I got the job, I was like, oh shit, like should I actually go back to Hong Kong and live there and like pursue this, you know, this uh, career in, in fashion styling? And my mom said, burn the bridge. Cause I was like, if I don't go back, I will burn this bridge. And she goes, you know what? Burn the bridge. I was like, what? 
And she's like, yeah, burn the bridge. Cause when you burn the bridge, you have no choice, but to look forward and make your life in New York a success. And so every time I think about that, when people waffle around decisions or they're worried about burning a relationship. And I was like, I use that exact same thing, burn it because then you'll have nothing to look back on. Mm. You just have to keep on moving forward. I did that recently, but two and a bit months ago, I was so afraid of something. And I was like, if I don't cut this, I can't move forward. Cause I always just think, be thinking about this on the side. So I had to cut it and there's only going forward now. And I think that's really important. I, 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 I preach this to everyone, keep moving forward, no matter how hard it is and how painful some things are, keep moving forward. You're feeling a bit depressed. You don't want to get out of bed keep moving forward, go to the gym, uh, go see your friend for coffee, just keep moving forward and, and you will get better. It will, it, you will feel better if you do keep yeah. moving forward. Yeah. And that goes for anything to do with relationships, jobs, anything, just never be afraid, just burn it. Cause then you're not giving yourself the option. Goes back again to what we're saying. Like, I don't like giving people options. <laughs> don't always take the safer option, take the option that makes you uncomfortable. And so again, it's odd that after, you know, God, like 42 years, I never thought that I would quote my mom. You know, mm. she's a housewife, she brought up kids, but she's given me the most um, salient, simple advice that I've used that has helped me a ton in small decisions and big decisions. It's been the most helpful thing. And in a weird way, it's very inspiring because she's telling me to be brave. And that's helped me to be brave mm. is by not giving myself options, but to be brave. I love that. Well, I want to say thank you so much for coming on 360 Yourself and you have been 360'd. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. This is 360 Yourself and I'm Jamie Neal. Thank you very much for taking a moment to listen to our wonderful guests. Please subscribe to our podcast to access all our brilliant guest episodes. They are released every Sunday at 12pm. We are available on all listening platforms, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Google Podcasts, and Castro. You can also find us on Instagram at 360 underscore yourself, Twitter at yourself360, and our host at Jamie Neal JN. Thank you for listening.